Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Palmer bet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. On 11.16 SEM, the award-winning crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale ends June 30. But it's smothered and now the Crows go forward, kicking to the square. It's going long, it's going strong and it's going through. Eddie Betts, an Adelaide Oval special in the opening minute. Quick kick from Cordy, straight into the lap of Lynch. He sums it up beautifully. Had time to balance and slots the Adelaide Crows' third goal as Tom Lynch. And this opening term has ended in catastrophe, really, for the Western Bulldogs. Kicked it to the space and says, Chase, Talia does. Gets their first whip, goes piling in over the yeah, top. He's made a free kick here, Hutto. So Talia left. Oh, no. Yeah, contact below oh, the knees. Oh, that is ridiculous. But he didn't yeah. need to go to ground again. Yeah, he didn't, and he did. But yeah. in conditions like this, it makes it pretty hard for the players if you're going to give that a free kick. Well, let's see what the cost is. Will it be a goal, a behind, or nothing at all from 20 metres out? It's full price. A goal to the Western Bulldogs is greeted by a chorus of boos. Wrong side for a right footer, but no. it hasn't mattered for Eddie Betts. He's going to run over the mark. He's oh. kicking a drop punt. Oh. Don't tell me, Eddie Betts! You are special! <laughs> the Eddie chant comes up. Eddie Betts from 30 stabs at it. Oh, ye of little faith! Eddie Betts kicks his fourth on a very important win for the Adelaide Crows. They were challenged by the Western Bulldogs, but they had all the answers when it mattered. Yeah, look, it was a really strong win in the end. They had some opportunities in the second quarter. You know, they had a fair bit of ball in their front half, and you know, we defended, I thought, pretty well. And, and yeah, given you know some of the personnel changes that we had, really proud of the guys and the way they came and the way they competed, and um, to get the result was a good reward for them. The injury-stricken Crows prevail in the Adelaide slip and slide, keeping the dogs to just two goals. Prolific wingman Paul Seedsman will join us. It's a great opportunity for us to work out what we want to stand for and what we want to be. And this is a group that don't have that. You determine who they want to become and what the team is. You determine it, John. You're the coach. It's just not gelling as a group um, the way we would have liked and we're hurting more than anyone, so um, can't go pointing fingers, can't go blaming. We just stick tight and um, grit through this period together. I'm happy to, and, and the footy club, I think, and team, uh, the team would be happy to cop criticism for actually executing the game plan that we've, we'd all agreed upon and wish it drives, but the reality is we're not. It's an opportunity probably to create greater clarity and alignment across the coaching group. As we sit here, John Worsfold's career is on notice. I feel like we're aligned, all on the same page with where we want to head. A week of turmoil for the Bombers. Where does it leave John Worsfold as the Dons prepare for their next assignment in today's country game? We'll chat to one of their young guns while Geelong coach Chris Scott will join us with a view from the other side of the fence. 
tonight. We both uh, understand the tribunal's decision and we respect it and the process involved. Seriously, it's absolutely ridiculous. What are we supposed to do with... As, as football lovers, there is no consistency here. And they're very sophisticated with the way that they defend. At different stages, they're getting away with blue murder too. There's a time and a place to have those discussions, and particularly after a loss, I just don't think it's appropriate to put it on the agenda the way he did. Really quite supportive, not to suggest at times, you know, they, they weren't quite challenging. That is the job of the board. We're not where we'd want to be, and so appropriately, you know, those questions were asked. And a most contentious week as the tribunal confounds, the coaches bicker and the Saints flounder. It's all in the crunch and we'll pose the questions to the St Kilda presidents. It's another massive edition of Crunch Time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. From outside the MCG, we're not too far from Gate 2. We are right in the thick of the 2018 Power Core Country Festival, which is ramping up, and a city kid could get an education on an afternoon like this. We're placed next to the country baked potatoes, the rock and donuts and coffee, Tim Boone's finest ice cream. Right in front of us is a red Mustang with a cream hood. There are hay bales as far as the eye can see. There's a bit of surfing, there's a bit of solar cars, there's a bit of salami over in the far... <laughs> Cue. And then we've got the stage next to us where soon the Black Sorrows, John Williamson and Michelle Gardner will be performing. Come down, have a look and join us on Crunch Time. Jared Waitley with you. Bob Murphy is with me. Bob, the country surrounds. This is uh, man after my own heart, Jared. This has taken me back to Warrigal. Just, just the, all we need now is the faint smell of liniment just to drift through and we could be at any country footy ground anywhere in the land. Terry Wallace, great to have you on board. Uh, thanks, uh, gentlemen. Um, yeah, Jared, I'm a city boy uh, like you, but I'm married a country girl, so I think, Bob, that gets me halfway <laughs> there, it. doesn't it? <laughs> That's it. You're in, mate. You're in the family. <laughs> Lovely. And Kane Cords, who's come over from Adelaide last night to put us right in the thick of what happened. Hello, Kane. Yeah, and not a country bone in my body <laughs> anywhere, so I feel a little bit out of place here today. But, yeah, I mean, a disappointing night last night, wasn't it, for, for a couple of reasons, the weather and the one-sided affair that it was. Felt like the, the dogs were in the game, which we'll get to. 400 disposals for two goals is, isn't very efficient. 62 entries for, for just two goals. So they'd be really disappointed waking up today. There's nothing like the wet and wild to completely unpick the modern game, is there? Well, and it is. And I just thought the tactics were so contrasting. Adelaide were, were dead set on kicking the footy and gaining territory. But the Bulldogs, I think they'd watched Collingwood, what they did to Adelaide in the wet um, a few weeks ago, earlier on in the season. They just wanted to handball a lot. And it looked as though they went in with the same game plan that they've had for the couple of years, despite the conditions, Bob. Yeah, interesting, wasn't it? Because when the Bulldogs are at their best, they, they do flick the ball around, but it was... It wasn't just it wasn't just wet it wasn't just wet football it was you rarely see puddles on a on a football ground these days but that's what we saw last night so it'd be interesting to say if, if that was if that was part of the part of the plan because the other thing of course is when the pressure when the pressure is there teams do tend to overuse the handball but it is a habit of the dogs when they're at their best to flick the ball around so it's an interesting well, you're, you're spot on I mean, it was plus 90 in hand passes for the uh, for the evening so I mean that's extraordinary that you're plus 90 and then still get beaten by that much. Uh, listen to Luke Beveridge in his press conference afterwards and he said that that wasn't necessarily their plan, that they did intend to kick the ball a little bit more, but 
shows what an instinctive game it is. Old habits it? die hard. Absolutely. Don't they? I mean, yeah, and you're spot on, Bob. You, you, you suggested about that's the way that they have played in the past. That's the way they've had their success. And as much as what the coach might want to say something to his players and sort of say, and I'm sure uh, came half time, he would have said, come on, we're going to you know, temper this a little bit and kick the ball more regularly. But just it never happened. Uh, the freshest news this morning is that Charlie Curnow is out of the Blues lineup for tomorrow with a tight cord, which I can't be the only one who's chuckling given the events of the week uh, that we've just lived through that that would be happening. Could have saved a lot of, <laughs> a lot of heartache, especially for, especially for his mum. Pat Kerr comes in for his debut. So You, you uh, could have uh, actually sort of said, well... One Kurnow's going to go down and one wasn't. <laughs> we'll we'll put, and we'll put up the hand we'll and we'll Charlie, yeah, we'll cut a, a deal. deal. We'll cut a deal <laughs> At least Ed plays that way. So from an Adelaide perspective, getting that win last night with so many injuries at the moment, they're, they're trying to nurse themselves through. Is, uh, the dogs, I think the dogs have completely revealed yep. themselves. We'll get to them shortly. But to just to amass the wins at the moment for the Crows wherever they can. Uh, vital. And what they've done really well is respond when they've been under pressure. A few Friday nights ago or weeks ago, they were under some immense pressure. Taylor Walker, the captain, they responded on that Friday night and beat Sydney in a, a pretty famous victory this year away from home. And then once again this week, They've been smashed uh, to the likes that we haven't seen um, this year at in Adelaide because of their lack of transparency with their injuries. They've had 29 players injured this year out of 44, which is amazing. So that's one issue. What is going on? Who smashed the... them in Adelaide, Kate? Uh, well, there was a couple of people. And it wasn't, it wasn't could, could just me. Could you just me. describe your relationship with Adelaide at the moment, please, Kate? Well, I think, I think I am the spokesperson for the fans, Jared, and the fans are frustrated with the lack of transparency. So we, we get a lot of calls and a lot of texts to, to our program in Adelaide. Anyway, so the one issue is the injuries and what's going on there. The other one is the messages that's been relayed to the fans, which I don't think has been, as we've spoken about at length and don't want to sound like a broken record. But what they have done is they're six and three, despite five of their best 10 probably not there. And I think the next seven weeks, if you look at it, it's Melbourne, the Giants, Frio, Hawthorne, West Coast, Richmond and Geelong. So last night was vital for them. The next seven weeks, I think five of those are away from home. Um, will tell us exactly where Adelaide are. So if you're the coach, Terry, and week after week you're getting more soft tissue injuries, whose door are you banging on? Where are you searching for answers? Uh, I'm banging on the strength and conditioning and medical staff. Uh, I think it's a combined uh, scenario, and, and I'm, I'm also having my coaching staff involved in that conversation as well because they're dealing with the players. Uh, look, you can have... Soft tissue injuries, that happens as part of, of the game. But when you start to have multiple, and we're talking about major multiple soft tissue in injuries, you have every right as a coach, you have every right as a supporter to actually ask the questions of what is going on with my football club to have that many. There's a, there's a thing that every AFL club does now, Jared, where they, every player, every morning of their working life, they fill out back soreness, sleep, stress, anxiety. So that's not just for that day. That, that, that's for this situation. So they look back on the patterns and the, the, where the red flags were with certain players. They're looking for patterns of things that they could have altered or changed in their program to, to get to this. So the transparency is one issue. It is secondary, though, to identifying a cause and finding a solution because it does have the capacity to, to bring their season undone as they are... They're getting through it as best they can, but to hear Taylor Walker last night is to realise that he's going to miss most of these crucial matches that you just identified, Kane. This was the coach, Don Pike, in the aftermath of the game last night on the injury front. 
Well, that's, that was it. I sat in this room you know, on Wednesday morning you know, before our training session and said, look, we're really hopeful that we're going to these guys. Are, and I expected three or four of those guys to play. Now, an hour and a half later after a training session, you know, they, were, they were more unlikely than likely. That, that's the changing dynamic of what we deal with. I'm loath in this environment to give predictions because I can get claimed that you know, we're not being open or transparent. But the reality is all those guys are a chance for next week. And that's probably about as much as I'm, I reckon we can say. Um, but certainly the way we train or the style of our training hasn't, hasn't really been adjusted. There's a few things we've tweaked in our program. Which so there's, there's that phase of a season where you've, you've got to bunker down and wait for the reinforcements to arrive, and it feels like they're right in the thick of that, Terry. Well, they are. Uh, but in saying that, we've got to give them enormous credit for what they've been able to do. I, I sit back and I can't think of a side in, in recent times that's been able to replace so many players and do it so successfully. And they've done it two ways. I mean, some of the boys who we've seen um, last year, you know, Seedsman played last year, Alice Yolman and Greenwood, but they've been able to take it to another step, particularly those two blokes uh, last night in the middle of the ground. You know, bigger body players when all of a sudden the Crouch boys are out. All of a sudden their opportunity presents itself and they step up, and that's what they've been able to do. Uh, Duday, um, you know, playing some really good football, has been able to replace Lever uh, as Seedsman has been able to replace Brody Smith in the side. And then they've been able to fill the holes. I mean, Fogarty, Galucci, uh, Paholke, uh, Lockie Murphy have all done reasonable jobs coming into that lineup. So you're talking there about eight players that are semi replacement players that have been able to do a great job. And it was a night where you needed one of your guys to go, and Eddie Betts did that right from the start. Kane. Uh, he looked like the match winner from the opening minutes when he kicked that left foot goal on the boundary line. He Cream did, rises to the well, top in those conditions, doesn't no, it? No one else on that ground could have done what he did last night. So his four goals, he kicked four straight. Three of them were genuine sort of one out of ten shots for, for your average punter like myself. For him, nine out of ten shots, and he nailed all of them. And on a night where the Bulldogs kicked two goals, 14, he kicks four goals straight, that three w- of them from near the boundary line, and he's clearly the match winner. That, it was the sort of performance that would have frustrated the Bulldogs players and coaches as it was happening. You, you, boy, the boys are you know, firing away, yeah. firing away. 14 points, and then you've got a guy on the other yeah. end, Eddie Betts, who kicking him left foot from the boundary. Well, Hunter, sort of misses, them through. Hunter hardly makes a distance from 35, 40 metres out directly in front. Yeah, yeah, Johannesson kicks zero goes four, four, I think it was, and a couple of really gettable ones. And then Betts does that. But Jared, he needed to. He was you know, eight goals coming in last night from his six games. We hadn't seen the best of him at all. Um, so I think my personal view on Adelaide is their forward line is too crowded when they're all fit. I think he's going to benefit from being the main man down there, working with Jenkins and Lynch with no McGovern and no Walker. Gives him some freedom to roam and do his thing. When they're all fit, uh, the Adelaide forward line's too crowded, in my opinion. Are they still in everyone's premiership conversation? Certainly mine. Uh, Look, I certainly... So long as they can, through this period, they can keep themselves close enough, which they are at the moment, doing so, as we said, the next five weeks will determine a a little bit about that. But there's... Well, we're only going to go to Richmond as the benchmark... And they're the only team that's beaten Richmond. So yeah. they're still in my calculations. The, the health. It's the the health aspect is so important. You know, players talked about the 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 B players who've come in and slotted into those spots. When you get the B, the guns, the A team comes back in, everything improves. Training improves, pressure on spots improves, but so so much is on that health for the Crows. They're not they're not premiership for me, they're their top six, I think. I just think there's going to be a tipping point if they get another one or two injuries and you, you, you look at the depth of their squad. I don't think they can compete with the top four sides, but I agree with you, player. They've done an amazing job to be where they are. Did you duck my question about your relationship with the Crows in the moment? <laughs> well, I think it's... 
Oh, uh, that no feedback. Usually, if there's an issue, they'll ring you off air. Now, I can guarantee you that they haven't rung me off air. Um, so that's a good sign, isn't it? We shook hands last night. I felt like I felt Fagan. like I felt like portions of Don Pike post match was a direct phone call to you. I haven't spoken to Don. <laughs> Did Andrew Fagan change his plans to come in and take the questions from me last night? Uh, he was going to come in off the top. Now he delayed that. He said that there was a pre-match function, but he, he fronted up. I wore my Port Adelaide cap to the game, which I was, Jared, I was regretting when he, when he walked into the, well, I didn't realise we were going to have him live. Usually you do, you do these things from the boundary line, but he, he came in live and, and there I was in my Port Adelaide cap. So The dog side of things, and I reckon we've known, they, they've won three, but I did hear people saying they were back in form. It's, uh, clearly, those people hadn't been watching them. They, they nearly got beaten by Brisbane, Gold Coast, Carlton, and to their eternal credit, they won all three of them. Yeah. That was what's on offer for them. Uh, they're pretty clearly pegged. They're just above the bottom group, currently. Yeah, I think they're just outside. You know that that tenth, tenth, eleventh sort of that bracket. I, th- I think the thing people who've watched them, the, the the Bulldogs haven't been a side to really bury sides. So they, you know, when they fall in by a few goals, that's kind of that's kind of what the Bulldogs the Bulldogs do. I think their effort now is they've found their consistent yep. effort. That that was the thing really worrying early was the, the yo-yoing of. That's not the that's not the Bulldogs, and then oh it's back it's gone again. Mm. Whereas the last month it's like last night was, again the effort was there they, they hunt in numbers flicked the ball around got their hands on the ball but the the lack of class was that really showed out last night. Bob, one of the problems that I have with them in comparison to some sides in the competition is I don't know what their best side looks like, and that's a little bit of a concern to me. The better sides in the comp you can nearly. Yeah, I think most of us, if we, we went to Geelong or, you know, or Richmond, uh, Richmond in particular, I think most of us could pencil out a side and, and all the sides would look very, very similar. I'm not sure you can actually do that with the Bulldogs at the moment. It's a, it's a pretty even list, and that was, that was a real strength. And the versatility in Luke Beveridge, he, he, he rings the changes probably more than, more than a lot of coaches. But that can, it depends on what your perspective is. It's like, is it even and they're versatile, or is it, or is it a bit like what you're saying? Is it, is it what's, what, what, is the, what is the top 22? Five of their next six are at Eddie Haddon. So that's their chance to, to build a position within the season. The two on the way to the buyer, Collingwood and Melbourne. Yeah, and, and the, the style of footy they're playing, I mean, so instinctive to want to, to win the ball and flick it around. And that, that's how they can get the better of sides. So and that is Eddie Eddie, had, yeah. Eddie had provides you know, the better conditions. that There, there will be no puddles at Eddie Had. <laughs> and Jack McRae continues to lead the way for them. Yeah, he's a star. And... and it's not Jack has pro. I mean, he's in career best form at the moment, but he he's done this before where he's won a lot of the ball. I don't think he's, I don't think he's played it like this though, where he's won a lot of the ball. And watching him live, I didn't see them live last night, but the two weeks before that, his spoiling and defensive efforts and and, and his ability just to will himself and his teammates to the to keep pushing and pushing forward. They, they probably don't get over the line in a couple of those tight wins yep. without Jack McRae. And he's been able to do that. Being tagged. Now, he didn't get tagged last week in the uh, the Lions game so much. Robinson tried to go with him after half-time. But in other games, he's been locked away from the outside. I can remember Bailey Banfield, you know, really in his back pocket over in Fremantle. Yep. Obviously, last night again, they, they went to him straight away. So he's doing things that others aren't. When they've got the freedom, they're able to get the 40-plus possessions. But 
not when they're being sat on, and he's he's doing it both ways. How would how would you have felt getting up for the Monday review, Kane, if you were if you were tagging someone at thirty six <laughs> as your stress well, my, level? My <laughs> limit was twenty. If they got above twenty, I was ready to jump yeah. off the bridge. Yeah. Let, let alone thirty six. So that was the that magical was my, number. My tipping point was twenty. Anything above that, it was a disaster. Well, funny thing, because that, that's Ben Jacobs' magical, it, magical uh, number at the moment. If you look at all his uh, six results over the last six weeks. Uh, that basically ranks at exactly 20. Mm. All right, we'll touch base with the Crows next and then take the deep dive on the Bombers. The farmers' market is taking shape outside the MCG as part of the Powercore Country Festival. The cinnamon donuts are just rolling off the rack over to our right. Those donuts and a coffee have got our name written all over them very shortly. So Paul Seedsman will be our guest next on Crunch Time. On 1116 SEM, the award-winning crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale ends June 13. It is crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. We're at the 2018 Powercore Country Festival here at the MCG, which formally kicks off at one, but the early arrivers have been well rewarded with hot cinnamon donuts with a bit of jam pumped into them. Well, I've got that to say, makes all the difference. Jerry, I've got to say that I think since I was a teenager coming to the football, coming to the MCG would have been the last time I had a hot jam donut. It's like time travel. Oh, they right? are magnificent. Rocking donuts and coffee, we salute you. Now, uh, nobody is taking more ground in the competition these days than Paul Seedsman on a wing for the Crows. He's with us on Crunch Time. Paul, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Very well. When it rains, what changes? What's the talk in the rooms just before you run out and it's dumping rain on the Adelaide Oval? Yeah, no, she's pretty wet last night. But no, we just talk about getting the ball forward and, and taking um, you know territory and playing the game in our half, um, trying not to overuse it at stoppage, which I thought we did pretty well last night. So do you drop some of the more sophisticated aspects that you would normally bring to a game? Yeah, definitely. I think the, it simplifies it. Um, just got to be strong in the contest and get the ball moving um, forward you know, in any way, shape or form, whether it's a kick off the ground, punching it forward, just trying to get that momentum behind the ball. Do you enjoy playing in the wet? Um, yeah, it's not too bad. Last night was pretty uh, pretty wet. I don't think I've played in such consistent rain for half an hour like I did last night. So it's a bit cold when it stopped and the wind was up. But no, apart from that, it goes all right. Yeah, you're allowed to say no. That didn't look very much fun at all, I don't think, Bob. Paul, Bob here. I was just wondering, we were talking earlier about the, the Bulldogs, you know, using so much of the handball. Was it, Do you think that was... Did that seem to you out there like it was part of part of their planning or was it or was it the Crows' pressure? Which one do you think it was? Uh, no, well, we scouted to them um, seeing recently they, they like flicking it around, um, you know, especially at stoppage, they exit um, through handball. So... Uh, we expected that and then maybe thought that they would change that up a little bit with the conditions, but they stuck to their game plan, which um, you know, allowed us, invited the pressure from us, which we were able to bring, which was really pleasing. And what about the uh, the injury paranoia out at Adelaide, Paul? You, you, you're in incredible form at the moment, one of the informed players of the competition with your metres gained. Have you had some injury problems in the past? Is there any paranoia from yourself when you see so many of your teammates go down? Oh, no, not really. I, I sort of, um, I just back in the work that I've been able to do over the pre-season and, and through the last 18 months. Um, last year was really important in setting me up for that. So I've, I've been able to build some trust in my body. Um, 
and yeah, you know, injuries happen. Unfortunately, we've had a, a few of them to start the year, but um, you know, everyone's doing what they can to stop that, and hopefully going forward. Um, yeah, last night we got through unscathed, so a few more weeks of that, and we'll be right. Paul, you're out of contract, and believe you've started negotiations with the club. How's that progressing, and um, uh, are you going to be rewarded for this outstanding fall? Uh, yeah, I think I, I um, just had preliminary chats the other week, so uh, that'll sort itself out in due course, and I'm sure um, sooner rather than later we'll get something sorted. Paul, just uh, the composure of your side. You spoke about you know, just having that composure. I, I thought Bryce Gibbs again last night, you know, in, in conditions that were really, really difficult, just shows why the club you know, worked so hard to get him. Yeah, no, he's been a class act since coming across. Um, provides a, a bit of polish through the midfield, and um, you know he just wins so much of his own ball as well. Uh, which you know I, I don't know that he gets the credit for that he deserves in that area. He's, he's actually really strong around the contest and. Uh, he's been great for us this year. The Bulldogs only kicked one goal in the first half, and it was a fairly controversial goal uh, that had a lot of discussion going on social media. Uh, did you guys speak about it at all, and uh, how did Daniel Talia take uh, the decision that was given against him? Uh, I don't know that we spoke about it too much, but I sort of was blocked into what happened. But when I got down there, it didn't look like um, Tales was too happy with the decision. Um, <laughs> So, no, I'm sure if you asked him tonight or tomorrow, he'd still be pretty fiery about it. Have you seen it subsequently? No, I, ha- I haven't seen it, no. So, um, yeah, I, I gathered it was um, the um, hit below the legs um, incident, but, yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen the incident itself. Tell us about your role, Paul. Is, so you've taken more metres than anyone else this season. Is that, is that a, a fundamental part of, of what you're being asked to do? Uh, no, not necessarily. I just uh, I've been playing predominantly on the wing, uh, but part of my game is is to run and carry and take the game on and um, use the ball. So um, yeah, I've been able to do that um, throughout the year, which is which has been uh, good for my, myself and um, yeah, hopefully advantage to the team as well. Do you feel like this might be as good a stretch of footy as you've put together? Uh, yeah, I'd say so, yeah. Well, I've only ever played nine games in a row once before, yeah. so, um, yeah, just really enjoying being out there. But, yeah, probably consistency-wise, I would say so. so. How long have you been waiting to string games like this together? So have you had moments where you've just been brought undone, either by injury or form, and, and that frustration has built? Yeah, I think for every season since uh, I've been at AFL level, um, the most games I've played in a year is 17, and... Um, when I first got to the Crows, I played the first 12 games and then did my hamstring over the mid-season bye and played three of the remaining, uh, you know, I think it was maybe 11 games because we went in the finals. So, um, yeah, it's been frustrating. Injuries have come up at times and, as you said, form as well. So, uh, you know, i just just trying to do what I can um, each week to make sure that I can, I can keep playing at a consistent level. Paul, how much does the sting in the tail... Uh affect players going into the next week just really wanting to sort of get back out there and play after such a you know, devastating loss the week before? Yeah, well, I guess that was one of the lucky things for us. We only had to wait six days. Uh, sometimes they can, uh, you know, you appreciate it because you can get out there and, and uh, make amends for the week before. So, yeah, we were obviously all bitterly disappointed with the result, um, you know, going ahead. Uh, with 40 seconds to go, but more, you know, more disappointed that third quarter. So last night was a good chance to get out there um, with a with a young team and you know, a lot of blokes 
getting the opportunity to play and it was pleasing that we all stood up and um, got the result. We've all been impressed that you sit six and three now. How far as a player do you look ahead? You'd know who you're playing next week and then from there, how many weeks ahead do you look? Because it gets a little bit harder for you. Yeah, no, I haven't actually looked too far ahead. I, I didn't realise we played four games in a row at Adelaide Oval until a couple of weeks ago. Um, <laughs> so, no, I, I know next week's in, uh, I think it's Alice Springs or, yep. yeah, against Melbourne. Um, and beyond that, I couldn't tell you. So, um, we're just looking to get up there next week and, and play the same football and, and get the result up there. One week at a time, Jared. <laughs> Paul, Paul, sorry, Paul. I just want to ask you one. How how was the mood of Eddie Betts after the game? He's had a he's had a bit of everything at the start of this footy season. He's had injuries. He's had he's become a fa- a father to twins. But he was ex- <laughs> in, exceptional last night. What well, was he bouncing around the rooms after last night's win? Yeah, he was. Yeah, it's good to see. Just, you know, I think one of the contests in I think it was maybe even the third quarter where him and Gibbsy had a passage of play in the forward pocket that almost came off. And just to see Eddie smiling and that, you can just tell when he's doing that, he's at the top of his game. Um, and we all love seeing that. And uh, it's good to see him get the reward. So, um, yeah, hopefully now he gets his season rolling and, um, you yeah, know, starts bringing that, you know, the form like last night, which we all know um, the star player that he is. It's good to see you in such good form, Paul. I hope it continues. Well done. Thanks for your time. Thanks very much, guys. Paul Seedsman with us on Crunch Time, and uh, he's really making a go of it, Kane, at the moment. No doubt, uh, Jared, and him, also Rory Sloan and Tom Lynch out of contract, so they're three priorities for the Crows. Now, Seedsman will get done. Uh, he'll get done before the other two, you would think, but uh, he's been massive for them, and when they've got the injuries like they have, you need players like him and, and David McKay and Richard Douglas and these guys to use their experience and step up, which he's done. Big insight, isn't it? Nine games in a row, first time he's Gee. played. No, that's that's unbelievable, isn't it? So good on him. For uh, he showed signs, didn't he, in the finals last year that uh, everything seemed like it was turning around for him. All right, we'll come back to our three key takeouts from last night. One of those will be the free kick that Terry Wallace mentioned. We'll do that straight out of 12. We'll just shift gears to the key issues of the week, and Essendon has been front and centre of that gazumped only, well, momentarily by the tribunal when they lost their minds on Tuesday night. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Essendon side of things is nobody plans, you can calmly explain it as much as you like, nobody plans to lose a member of the coaching staff. And what we understand, is a pretty key member of the coaching staff after eight rounds when you're enduring a disastrous start to a season of great expectation. No, and it's something that we haven't seen very often in the game either. I mean, normally after eight rounds, it's a senior coach uh, that's uh, Mm. on the chopping block, if that's the case. Uh, Not very often in my memory can I remember a a key strategy member of the the team uh, leaving the the football club. And it was a surprise to me, I must say. I I thought something was going to give somewhere along the line. I don't know uh, how... Um, other people look at it, and I'll be interested in you guys you know, sort of picking apart where you see them. I, I watched them in the preseason, and I just thought from a strategy uh, perspective, from an effort perspective, they're a fair way off where I expected them to be. And uh, I've had this conversation on air a couple of times, but I had a couple of Essendon people say to me after the Wangaratta game against Richmond and JLT won, gee, they look like they're at least six weeks away. I said, I think they look like they're a couple of years away with the way that they, they went about their, their approach. and They really haven't looked like it since. And, uh, you know, a couple of little cameo roles. They beat the two South Australian sides, but one was, you know, flurry, yep. you know, in the last quarter. So uh, they're a long way off. And, you know, they play today against Geelong, who uh, 
almost the most difficult side. I think they are at the moment. The most difficult side to move the ball against. Essendon haven't been able to move the ball against inferior sides. Against yeah. Carlton last week, I just I can't see how they're going to get come up against this Geelong side. There has today. to be an acknowledgement in what happened that they recognise that they're strategically ill-equipped for season 2018. It's hard. You can't read that any other way, regardless of the niceties of how they parted or not. Well, absolutely. And uh, look, I think those sitting outside of the fence had seen that. And, um, you know, obviously they've identified that themselves. The the interesting factor in this is the setup and the way that the, the coaching staff were set up. I, w- I was always one when I coached that liked a vibrant coaching box. I liked a lot of noise. I liked a lot of input from all the different people. It sounds from the outside like John Worsfold is the opposite type of person. He likes it funneled. He likes it calm and controlled. And therefore, they decided to have that calmness uh, coming through one person. But that quite often causes frustration for others in the coaching box who have things to say uh, but feel like they may be stifled about being able to say them. And that coaching box dynamic was the same last year as it is this year when they did make the eights and they did impress a lot in the way that they played. I keep thinking about the locker room and I think the young players wouldn't they wouldn't be thinking they wouldn't be they may not get the full gravity of the situation but if you're I think about a couple of players in, in Brendan Goddard who's who's in the twilight of his career, and he would know that with this this happening, that the head strategist being removed at round eight, that that that's that's the end of this year's campaign, and that and that might be the end of his end of his time in the game. Which really, almost they showed with two debutants this weekend. Yeah, that's know. right. So so that would be a really difficult situation. The other, and I think of Dyson Heppel as a young captain trying to navigate this group and this locker room, trying to. Trying to build hope, and the, and with Mark Neal going, it, it would be such a hollow feeling for those players at the moment. So, Kane, what, what is it? The spin-off conversation now is, what does it mean for John Warsfold? If John had the box set up the way that he wanted it to be set up, then he has been overruled here. And as I say, you can carve up the way Essendon have delivered the message any way you like. But as I understand it, throughout last year and through the first eight rounds of this year, he had the box exactly set up the way that he wanted to. Mm. Two, two voices spoke, everything ran through them. Is It's hard not to have the view from the outside. There's either the frustrations built with the other assistant coaches and they wanted in, the trickle down to the players caused a, a level of unrest and there's been action taken, but it's been action taken to change the dynamic of the way John wants his coach's box to be set up. And also, Jared, the way they are playing. Like, as just a neutral footy supporter or a fan, I watch Essendon and I go, this is, this is outrageous the way they're trying to play the game. They're trying to tell us that they're a front half pressure side well they're not they want to win the ball in their back half with their free numbers back there when they get it they don't know what to do with it they handball happy they don't have lead up options they look under pressure the whole time so if he's the head strategist i can only imagine that the board watching essendon play like i am are thinking well what game style are we actually trying to play here and He's taken responsibility for that and the confusion with the way that they are playing. We'll come back to Essendon as we go. It's the Bombers' choice to provide Andy McGrath for interview today. So the rising star of last year, it's their choice that that's the club representative that we will be interviewing shortly. It's crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers. On 11.16 SEM, the award-winning crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale ends June 30.
We're outside the MCG, just around from gate two and next to the Country Baked Potatoes stand. And in front of us is the Mustang. We're at the 2018 Powercore Country Festival. Crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. We're here because of today's country game, which pits Essendon against Geelong. And from the Bombers' side of things, the rising star from last year, Andy McGrath, is our guest. Andy, welcome to Crunch Time. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Great to be here. So 2017 was such an exciting year, so much went right. Got your first taste of the finals. 2018, team's in a bit of a rut. Things not going as you would have imagined. Just give us an idea from a young man's point of view. What's the difference like from when things are going really well to when it's a struggle? Uh, yeah, obviously the, the two years have been quite quite different to me. Um, coming into an AFL club, you don't really know what to expect. So last year, I guess I sort of thought that would be the norm. Um, and this year's obviously quite a lot different. I guess the main the main difference is we change, we've changed a few things um, structurally with our game plan, and I think the reason we're we're falling down is just not sticking to that and not all being on the same page and executing it to the best of our ability. I reckon that's where where we're falling down. So, what are the week to week conversations around that, Andy? Uh, we've spent the last probably six weeks talking about um, what we're doing wrong, how we can rectify that, and we we all know the answers. Um, but executing it on game day has been our problem um, probably since the, the Fremantle game. We've had quarters where we've done it, um, but we just have failed to do it consistently over four quarters. So can you? So you're watching at the moment with the calf injury or when you're out there. Can you sense when it goes awry? And does that um, unleash a sense of frustration? Or oh, we know what we're, but we're not supposed to be doing this. I think it's far easier watching it from the stands and noticing what's going wrong. But... Um, on the field, it can sometimes be hard. There's a lot going on. You've got a lot of things going through your head. But it has been a little bit frustrating, especially last week, because um, we know how hard we're all working towards um, achieving what we want to achieve. But just um, the inability to do it on game day, and it's definitely not through a lack of effort. It's I, I, I can't put my finger on exactly what it is, but I think we're working towards it now. We're training a lot better. Um, we usually train it during the week, but then have struggled to implement it on, on the Saturday or Sunday games. Andy, how did you find out Mark Neal had lost his job and were you shocked? Uh, it was a little bit of a surprise to the playing group. Um, we we were told by Mark, first of all, on I think it was Monday when we first came into the club. Um, he basically said that he, he wanted to take his career in a different path and um, then there was a follow-up uh, the day after from, from Xavier and he basically said that there was always a plan for a restructuring of our, our coaching system and... Um, with that, uh, Neil's job would have changed slightly. And I think, um, I, I don't know whether that sat that well with him and um, he wanted to pursue other things outside of football and it, it seemed like the right time to do so. That would surprise the players to restructure the coaching department at round eight though, wouldn't it? I think it was a plan from when um, Richo first arrived in January and it's sort of just come to fruition now. Um, so I don't think it was a reactionary um, response to the, our form even though it does, it does seem like it quite a bit. But I think it was always the plan. It's just come at unfortunate circumstances. Andy, Bob here. Thanks for, thanks for chatting with us. Thanks for accepting the hospital handball of, of having to front <laughs> the media today. I just would like to know about the, uh, the mood in the locker room of the players. Obviously, there's a, there's a lot of noise um, outside of the football, in the football world at the moment, about the, the clubs under siege. But how is the mood in the locker room? And is the, would the mood maybe surprise those of us on the outside? 
Yeah, I think it probably would. Um, we're aware of all the noise going on. Um, it's pretty hard to escape it, to be honest. Um, but I think the mood within the club is, is relatively positive for what we're going through. We, we're aware that we're in a form slump and we're in a bit of a rut at the moment. But um, there's no point sulking or worrying about that too much. And we're just trying to stick together as much as possible. Uh, we know that's the way out of this. And there's no easy way out. We're not just going to front up today and... I guess, be a top four side. There's a long process that we have to go through. And I think the group we have now is really confident that we can get there um, just through hard work and sticking together. So the, the morale around the group is actually pretty positive for, for the state we are, um, we're in at the moment. You've painted a really good picture, Andy, of, of the process and, and you guys sticking together and working your way through it. But has there been any break-in routine? Often, often when clubs and teams are, are in a, a real slump or they're, they're under siege, like I said, the, there's often, you know, something, an activity or a, or a moment at training where they break the routine. Has there been anything like that out at Windy Hill in the last week or so? Uh, not, not massively, no. I think Wush has just put it on us really to that our, our skills weren't up to scratch the first probably up until now, I reckon. Um, and Wush really put that on us, challenged us whether we were skillful and talented enough to be AFL footballers, and. Um, most of the boys have really responded to that and have been working a lot harder after hours, before uh, work hours, just to rectify those mistakes that we're making in games. But there hasn't been a dramatic shift in the way we've gone about things, um, if that answers your question. Andy, John also said at his press conference last week that you players have to set the standards or set what you want to become going into the future. Was there any discussion about that during the week? Because, you know, really, from outside, some people were sort of saying, well, is that the senior coach's role, role to set that standard? Or is it all, you know, all in and all-encompassing that that should be set? Was anything spoken about that during the week? Uh, there has been a little bit. More so players um, have driven that uh, Dyson's come into our development group meetings a few times, which is first to third year players, and um, has basically said that, that we're driving the standards at the moment and it should probably be the other way around. Um, he apologised on his behalf for not setting um, a good enough example in his eyes, but I guess um, everyone's in the same boat. Uh, I don't think Dyson has set a foot wrong this whole, this whole season um, from a leadership point of view. Uh, but we're all there supporting him. It's not one individual's fault over another. I think we're all in it to drive that standard and we all have to play a part. Andy, when will you be back? Um, hopeful next week, but if not, the, the week after, I think. And there's a couple of uh, youngsters from your development group, the one to three-year players who get their crack at it today. Is How will you feel watching Jordan Ridley and Dylan Clark make their league debuts? Yeah, I'm over the moon. Um, I've played with them for two or three years now, and they're, they're great kids. They've worked so hard for their opportunity, and oh, I can't wait to sit in the stands and watch them play. I wish I was out there with them, but, um, yeah, it'll be a special moment for both them and their families. Just give us a quick bit of scouting. When we watch Ridley, what are we looking for? Classy ball user, um, and can break the lines and intercept. He's, he's an in-between size, but uh, he won't miss a target by foot. And Clark? He'll be under all the packs, um, feeding it out to the receivers. He might not have a lot of kicks, but he'll be right under there, hopefully right next to Joel Selwood the whole game and um, giving a real crack in, in and under. What are you expecting uh, in the twilight? Pardon? Sorry, what was that? What, what do you reckon will happen this afternoon? Um, 
I, ho- I hope we just improve. That's um, we improved from last week. Geelong are obviously a class class act. So um, the results not at the forefront of our minds at the moment. If we can play our footy um, and improve from last week, and the result doesn't go our way, we're not too worried about that at this stage. Uh, we know we're a long way off where we want to be. Um, so the end result's not a huge issue, but if we can see that we're making strides um, forward and in the right direction, I think that'd be a great result. Good on you, Andy. Much appreciated. Thanks for joining us. Beauty. No worries, guys. Thanks for having me. Andy McGrath, that is an incredible insight from a second-year player. Oh, yeah. Just incredible. There's a couple of takeouts for me. Uh... I'll just quickly give it, just so you understand how that's come to be, is... Uh, we're part of Croc Media. Croc Media is the official broadcaster of the country game. In that deal was uh, interviews with Essendon and Geelong. It was believed that we would have both senior coaches and that moved during the week. It was likely it was going to be the chief executive. And this morning it was last year's rising star. And he has carried himself superbly and provided an insight that you wouldn't get Absolutely. from uh, the more senior figures. Well, you understand why he's a rising star of the competition last year. I mean, just a very, very level young man. A couple of takeouts for me. Uh, the, the captain's gone to the one to three year players and said that they're setting the standards uh, at the football club at the moment and that should not be the way, that it should be driven by the senior players. That's a surprise to me. And that the coach has said uh, from your questioning, Kane, that uh, you know, the skill level of his playing group is just not up to mm. re- really AFL standards. It's amazing as well. When you, when you look at the trade period, if you had have said to Essendon, they just want to compete today, they're not worried about winning. They'll be happy with the competitive loss today in round nine after who they recruited in the off-season shows how far they have fallen. Now, we love the honesty Jerry, but it just goes to show how quickly it can turn because we've all said that they're pushing for top four this year. Now they just want to have a, an honourable loss and compete and improve. And do, do, do you find that staggering how far they've oh far yeah fallen? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I had them as high as what a lot of, but yeah, for for but just in their recruiting, you thought that they're looking for you know Stringer and those sort of players. They're the sort of the cherry on top and. They're not at they're not at cherry stage. So to bring sure. it all to a point, as seven weeks ago, John Worsfold was re-signed by this administration and this board. He has a contract running through to the end of 2020. Is his job on the line in the short term? I, I don't think so personally, because I think what he was able to do off the field in getting the club balanced and settled uh, was a major deal. What I think needs to happen is he needs to s- surround himself going forward with some people with some serious football acumen. And that's not to say that he hasn't got that, but the game changes so quickly that I just think that he needs to get the right people around him because they are being left behind strategy-wise. Kane, is John Worsfold's job on the line no, in the short term? Looks to me like a Richmond model. When Hardwick at the end of 2016 finished 13th, every assistant coach pretty much lost their job. They get a new set in. That's what I think will happen at Essendon, but I think Wusha will still be the main man and I agree with you, player. Yeah, it seems to be. Is this just the reboot of the, the, the worst fold uh, tenure Mark II, to see, pardon the pun, um, with with who they bring in and what, and what structure they bring in? I, I don't think he's under the pump. What do you think, job. Jared? Uh, no, I'm in that camp only because the decision was just made. But Two round, months is a long time. Round eight <laughs> makes it a really difficult <laughs> time. So there's all. I'm a believer in thresholds. So what's the threshold to keep it at bay? They're going to have to win games here and there in the remainder of the season. Mm. As you can declare development mode and play debutants all you like, but if you end up going 3-19, and 19, good luck. Correct. Yeah. Good luck fronting Two up next year. Two months is a year. big, big step. Yeah. I know you look at the draft very closely, 
the 2015 draft for the Bombers is shaping to be a disaster. They had two picks inside 10, number five with Parrish, who just lost his place in the side. Doesn't look like the modern footballer. Number six was Aaron Francis, who we know has had his issues. So you get two top 10 draft picks in one year, you have to nail it. And, and it hurts you for 10 and years. And the Bombers haven't. It, it, it yeah. hurts you for a decade. Yep. The Cats coach and the Saints president coming up with some pointy issues for both as well. We're at the MCG uh, for the Country Festival, the Country Game this afternoon. The injury update is for Arnold, Thomas and Becker. No fresh injuries out of last night for either the Crows or the Dogs. Nan Curvis has been named for the Tigers. For solo returns for the Pies and Buddy and Hanabry are back for the Swans, which raised a few eyebrows at the Swans, let alone on the outside of things. But it looks like they are going to play today. That's the injury update for Arnold, Thomas and Becker, over 50 years' experience in personal injury law. And the latter update for 40 Winks, serious about sleep. The Crows will remain in the top four regardless of other results this weekend. So they put a down payment on it last night. That's what made it such a critical win. The Dogs are stuck in 13th position and all eyes at the end of the weekend in the West. Who will emerge at the top of the table after nine rounds? And the teams who have cleared out Richmond and West Coast go at it for supremacy after round nine. More of Crunch Time with Terry Wallace, Kane Corns, Bob Murphy and Jared Waitley with you at the MCG coming up next. Crunch Time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. Run this past the coach, shall we? The Geelong coach, Chris Scott, is with us on Crunch Time. Chris, welcome. Thanks, Jared. I'll do my best to be as candid as Andrew McGraw was. He was pretty impressive. He was very impressive. Hey, when you come up against the team who spent the week being filleted in the spotlight, does it add a variable that you have to be just a little bit aware of? I think it does. I'm not a believer of you know, pretending things aren't happening. I mean, there's no point sticking your head in the sand. And they'll be under pressure. And, um, I know from experience at various times, both as a player and as a coach, it, it tends to elicit a response. Now, how extreme the response is and how effective it is is another matter, but... Um, I don't think they will have just gone about their business this week. And, um, you know, despite what Andrew said, and I, again, I, I thought he was very impressive, I don't quite buy the fact that they'll be OK with a, an honourable loss. Yes, yes. Um, is it possible that an opponent could play in a way uh, that you haven't seen them play this year on the back of a week like this? Could, could they flip their game plan completely? I think they'll change some things. Whether it amounts to a complete 180 um, is another matter. I think that's really difficult to do um, and still remain cohesive. Um, so they've played um, a particular spot style in defence in particular. I think that's a little bit hard to change over the course of what really amounts to only a couple of training sessions. Um, but you actually don't have to go back too far to their two Eddie had games against the Crows um, and Port Adelaide to see some pretty scintillating offensive play. Um, so listening to Andrew talk about the emphasis on skill this week, that um, their focus will be, and really I'm speculating here, but I suspect the focus would be on releasing the shackles a bit, playing a bit faster, backing their skills in, and if they make a few errors, they can live with that as long as they're bold. Chris, uh, with the exception of uh, one quarter over a five-week period, you'd be very comfortable, I would think, with the way that your defensive structures are going in and whatever they're doing, um, I think that you should be reasonably confident that uh, what you guys are doing yourselves can counter it. I hope so, Plough. Um, I should say I'm never comfortable um, as a coach. Um, you know, Whenever you're 
let your guard down, particularly defensively, as we did. It was more complicated than just our defence against Sydney in that last quarter, but um, you know, it, it, it can be, especially with a young, inexperienced group, which we still do have, it can be a mistake to just assume that everything will um, keep tracking the way you've been playing. So what we have emphasised the things that we've been doing well, acknowledge the, the threats that are really possible if Essendon can play the way they did against the two Adelaide teams. So, yeah, we think structurally we've been standing up pretty well, but unfortunately you just, you've got to start from zero every week and prove you can do it again. Just on a, a bigger picture thing for, uh, for the Geelong fans listening to us, you, you played in a couple of preliminary finals in a row. Uh, we've seen sides in this competition not necessarily need to finish one and two with recent years to be able to win it. Is it just posturing yourself and winning enough games and getting things absolutely right towards the back half of the year that the Geelong Football Club needs to look at? Well, hopefully. Um, I think it's a mistake at round nine to make assumptions that um, we're going to be good enough um, at the end of the year. We are, at least in terms of personnel, a different team to the one we've been in in previous years. Um, And we think we've got the potential um, to improve um, quite a bit. So if we do do finish um, high enough, and I think you're right that it's probably shifted a little bit from the, the past in that you needed to be top four, but you know, if we're close enough and we're playing our best footy, I think at this stage I'd give a, give us a chance. Um, and that's different to where we've been the last couple of years when, for one reason or another, we just weren't at our best when it counted the most. And I think with an even competition, particularly up in the top 10 or 12 teams, um, it's not necessarily um, who the best team has been across the course of a year, but it's who's the best in, in that sort of last four to six weeks. Chris, one of the talking points uh, this week is Adelaide's injuries and, and their perceived lack of transparency with that. What responsibility do you have as a club to, to give the accurate information to your fans in your eyes? I actually caught a little bit of your show um, the other morning um, and was interested in the discussion. Um, and, and I guess um, I'm probably 50-50 on it. Um, I'm, I'm probably not quite of the view that I think you have, which is that clubs have an obligation to their supporters and the wider football public to be completely transparent. Um, and I think for the most part, um, well, I guess if transparency includes um, you know, being really clear when you're not sure, then that's OK. But I think being a little bit um, uncertain and grey on things is more a reflection of the fact that very rarely do we have certainty with injury um, as opposed to being deliberately evasive. Um, I think particularly with long-term players, it's hard, but I think we do have an obligation there to the wider football public to give a bit of clarity on where their guys are at. Now, by definition, the outlook's going to be a little hazy, um, but when supporters don't see players play for a long, long period of time, um, you know, that, I, I think we do have a duty to say, look, you know, they're, they're still... They're still plugging away. As Bob would know, you know, rehab's a very lonely place, and um, you know th- th- those guys can be a bit out of sight, out of mind. So I think I think it's a good thing for the footballing public to try to put as much on the table. But we'd never do that at the expense of you know what's best for the individual or, or, or for the team. And there are those obvious examples where a player's got um, an issue that we don't want the rest of the competition knowing about. I I, I would really rail against being forced to be completely transparent in that situation. So your late changes, you've had a number this year. What 
percentage do you think? If, if you've had 10, just say that's, I'm plucking that number just to make it easy. What percent would be strategic and what percent would just be, um, un, I mean, forced with uh, an hour or so to go pre-bounce? You can't think of one that was strategic. Mm. So in that, I, I can understand that people get frustrated um, that they've put their super coach team in, their dream team in, <laughs> even had a punt on the footy and... Um, the team they thought was playing is not playing. But it's also a little frustrating for us that we have players that, you know, are really racing the clock to get up, and yet we need to put a team in Thursday afternoon before we play Sunday afternoon. Um, and, man, I don't really care if people get frustrated, to be frank. The rules are really clear. You need to put a squad in. If you want to change your squad, you've got to let the AFL and the opposition know. And 90 minutes before the game... Um, you finalise who your 22 are. And even in that pre-90-minute period, if you get an injury, as we have had a couple of times in the warm-up, um, you've got every right to change them. So, you know, I guess I'm um, aware of some of the frustration. I just don't really care. At the umpire contact issue, Chris, we've ended up with four guilty verdicts, <laughs> two fines and two suspensions. Have we reached a satisfactory position at the end of two weeks or an unsatisfactory position? I'm not sure. Um, I'm clearly biased um, and there's no system of restorative justice in our um, um, procedure. So the fact that Tom's missed the game can't be changed. Um, we were very, very comfortable that it was the, the right message to send across the competition. Just a little confusing that what was right one week didn't appear to be right the next. So I, I think it's probably more um, flaws in the in the procedure um, and the system rather than what the AFL think is appropriate and what's not. Um, I, I don't think there's any doubt across the competition that players shouldn't touch umpires. Um, I think there's a fair bit of doubt around uh, players going out of their way to touch umpires deliberately. Now, as I've said in the last week or two, um, you know, I think you know the, the, the two recently retired players you've got with you would attest to the fact that there's a fair bit of inconsequential contact with players and umpires all the time. And I thought it was instructive that two of the umpires involved in, in these issues, both involved in the Kerno brothers, said they didn't have a problem with the contact. And I, I, I thought that was a refreshing approach for them to take. As Peter Ryan said in The Age, the, um, you know, we, we don't want the umpires cruising around in the Potemobile. Yes. He argued the contention that uh, the three subsequent decisions were right and the Hawkins, um, well, what applied in the Hawkins case was actually the outlier. That's what was wrong. Is, are you of that view? And I think that was pre-AFL appeal. So it was? Yeah, yeah, I think his contention was that a fine would have been appropriate in all of those cases. And if that was deemed to be a strong enough message to the rest of the competition, then, yeah, I would have been comfortable with that. And I must admit, that was that was my impression of the way it was tracking with Hawkins until the last minute. Did you get hoodwinked at the last minute? Well, I'm not really the person to ask, and I'm, I, I, I'm genuinely not being evasive here. I just um, don't get involved in the nitty-gritty of the um, tribunal defence. Um, but, yeah, my understanding... Um, was that, yeah, it was, it was looking like a fine and, and then I got the message late that it didn't look like that. So, I mean, one, one could make the, um, the correlation between maybe a little bit of public pressure and, and, and the look of the game and, and, it, 
and a twisting strategy from um, those in charge. Did you get any feedback after the first meeting of the competition committee? Uh, so Geelong has the president and Paddy Dangerfield as the president of the AFLPA on. Is Did you like the sound, uh, the tone of the meeting and the ideas that are on the table? Yeah, I'm, Brian Cook, Simon Lloyd and I caught up with uh, Paddy Dangerfield and Colin Carter, who, as you said, are on the committee, and they gave us a bit of an update um, uh, into... Um, you know, the, the discussions. Um, Steve Hawking subsequently sent through um, a memo with, with the minutes of that meeting, um, highlighting the fact that they're confidential. So I want to be careful with what I say. But I think, I think the takeaway in terms of the, the broader conversations were more around what's, what's going to be good for the game longer term. So is, is playing movement good or not? Um, do we want to make the game more attractive if we possibly can? What's the risks to making... You know, tweaks to try to achieve that aim. Um, it sounded very, very global, big picture stuff to me. And do you do you think that will have the impact that I suspect Steve Hocking wants it to have? Yeah, I think it will. I think it's a really um, responsible way of um, you know, collaborating with you know, the people who are involved in the game. I think I've been very strong of the view in the last five years that there's been the perception that the coaches want to influence the rules of the game. That's a harder one to defend in the last week or so, I must admit. Um, but <laughs> I mean, at least I'll speak for myself. My position is that um, the, the coaches have a big say in how the game's played tactically. So it's, it's prudent to ask the question, if there are tweaks made to the game, what's the likely tactical um, response? But at no stage should coaches be trying to dictate, um, you, you know, particular rules or particular changes to the rules. And, and from my perspective, I just don't trust myself to be unbiased in that view. I'm unashamedly um, a Geelong person and I want what's best for Geelong first. Now, even if I try to set that aside and say, no, no, I'm thinking about the game in this particular instance, I just don't think anyone's good enough to completely separate that bias. Uh, Chris, how difficult will it be later in the season to get your best side, what is your best side, uh, lined up against each other? Because you've got some you know, excellent players that are out, but they're going to be marginally underdone. How is that going to marry together? It's going to be a tough one. Uh, it, it, it's a situation that we've probably wrestled with the last couple of years as well, Terry. So it's I'm not saying we've got the answer necessarily, but we at least have a little bit of experience with it. Um, the the pleasing thing is that the young players in particular that have come in are doing the job at the moment. Now, there's no guarantee they're going to continue to do the job, but that does potentially allow us the, the luxury of taking a bit more time with some of those experienced players, potentially playing a bit more um, VFL footy and, and really picking a team that, um, you know, given there is you know, two-thirds of the season to go, there's enough time to, um, you know, not to feel the need to rush, say, Cam Guthrie or Nakai Cox to Lincoln McCarthy back into the team. Um, but, I mean, the, the, the best team, you know, I think all coaches, assistant coaches included, through the pre-season would muck around with what their best 22 um, looks like. And you know, the, the, the 22 that I had sketched out in November is completely different to the one we're putting out on the park at the moment. Um, and there's no reason to suggest that... Um, you know, the best 22 later in the year will be different again. And, um, you know, the trap is to sort of look at the names, um, you know, on the whiteboard and get seduced by what they've done in the past. And, and 
you know, that can be a mistake because you tend to overlook what, you know, Jack Henry and, um, you know, Lockie Fogarty and, you know, Saba Radigalia are doing right now. What do you do for the rest of the day, Chris, before it starts? What time do you get here? Well, if I had my way, Jared, I'd only be there about 40 minutes before game time. <laughs> um, but um, um, Sophia Samatis, our uh, assistant GM, gets a bit nervous. So I'll, I'll be there about two hours before and um, try to stay out of everyone's way because I think my anxiety can rub off on, on the others. So, you know, I think... <laughs> There's, there's so much as a coach that you want to do in the final three or four hours before the game. Um, in my experience, very, very little of it is worthwhile. So um, to a large extent, you know, until the siren goes, um, you know, it's um, just try to relax and get out of the way. All right. We'll see how it goes. Thanks for your time again, Chris. No, thanks. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. Chris Scott with us on Crunch Time for the 2018 Power Core Country Festival. Celebrate the power of country and the TAC Safer Roads Save Lives working towards zero. So that's the picture from a Geelong perspective and broader. We'll tip some of those issues over into the crunch next. Where did we get to with umpire contact? And is that a satisfactory position after two highly unusual weeks? And uh, then we'll... um, We'll chew over the Saints because the president's going to join us. He's not often heard Peter Summers. It was sounds like it was a key board meeting during the week to understand where things have gone awry, and we'll pose those questions. There's no change to the early start to either side, North Melbourne and the Giants, with so much loaded into that. That match is in Hobart. We'll dot in scores once it begins. On 11.16 SEM, the award-winning crunch time. The Honda seven-year sale ends June 13. Today, crunch time for the 2018 Power Core Country Festival. That's where we are at the MCG. Celebrate the power of country and the TAC. Safer roads save lives. Working towards zero. Jared Waitley, Kane Corns, Bob Murphy, and Terry Wallace with you as the country festival takes shape ahead of this afternoon's twilight game between Essendon and Geelong. The game of cones, Timboon fine ice cream looms large (laughs) just outside our caravan. We're into the crunch. The key issues of the week in footy. Are the consequences for umpire contacts any clearer? Uh, Well, no, probably not. And it goes back to the... I think... This week was, they got it right. But I, I, you talked about it before, Jared. I said a couple of weeks ago that the the Tom Hawkins one was wrong. That my my, my view of it is that the Hawkins one was was more than what the, those three charges we saw this week. So I still think it was a fine. It might have been a bigger fine, but when it crosses over to the next level of aggressive contact towards an umpire, then it's it's a it goes to. 10 weeks suspension so it's a it's a fine or 10 weeks for me. but can i just we're, we're focusing a lot on the on the mro and the sanctions let's not let the players off this is seven days after the yeah. time and three of them touched an umpire i played for 18 years at the top level player you played for a long time kane you played for a long did you ever touch an umpire stop touching umpires <laughs> players whether it's friendly i mean we i'm quite a tactile guy i've got my hands all yeah. over kane i'm like snake arms <laughs> over kane as i sit next to him but on a football field just don't touch uh, the umpires you have the odd one where you collide with the umpire accidentally but d- did i ever intentionally touch an umpire during a game no well, ne- never. I thought the one word that came out of the Charlie Kuno situation was inadvertent. 
that was the word that was used in the process uh, of making a decision. So that's the word that I'm taking forward, that if it's inadvertent contact, you may very well find yourself only with a fine. Yeah, well, the AFL wanted suspensions in all four cases, so that has to be said. The appeals board didn't over didn't uphold the appeal in the Charlie Kernow case, but said if they were they said essentially if they'd heard the case for the first time, he would have been suspended. But what they couldn't say is the tribunal acted unreasonably, which they did say in the Ed Kernow case. So four guilty verdicts, two fines, two suspensions. Uh, so we're stuck in a spot is it's not going to revert to fines, and then there is a threshold to differentiate two from the next two, and I don't think you could have great faith on the evidence in front of us no. that that's going to be applied consistently or correctly, <laughs> let alone whatever the desired outcome is. But your solution, Bob, is right. Stop mm. touching <laughs> the umps. <laughs> should Patrick Dangerfield feel free to speak his mind, Kane? Of course he should. Of course he should. It was refreshing. I think we are critical when players say nothing and they're boring, and then we're outraged when they finally say something. So, But also, under the, he's from the podium uh, of... He's the President Correct. of the Players He's Association. So, yeah. Correct. And we want to hear what the players have got to say. As we heard from Andy McGrath just then, who was terrific. So um, he's free to... I think he's done enough in the game to say whatever and he wants. And you'll always have a little bit of comeback from the club that he is speaking about, which, yes. was, which was Andrew McKay on this circumstance. Yep. But I think the general competition is quite comfortable with that position. The one kicker to it, and it's 100% we want players to speak like this, is Ed Curnow and Charlie Curnow pay their dues to the Players Association as well. That's their president speaking. <laughs> I think the Curnows would have been, oh, that's a bit sharp, isn't it? <laughs> um, was it a mistake for Gil McLaughlin to meet Alastair Clarkson in such a manner this week, Terry? Yeah, I think so. I think so. If that meeting had been behind closed doors, uh, if it had been a conversation over the phone and a follow-up at some stage, that would be reasonable. I think that there is a process in place where you either go to the umpires department or you go to the head of football operations, uh, being uh, obviously Stephen Hocking. I think that that's the right process. And personally, I would have thought that uh, for a public meeting, Gil would have been better to sort of say, look, I'm hearing it. Um, we can follow this up at some stage, but go through the right process. If we accept that it was completely separate to the events of Friday night and a much broader conversation, it, do, do we still have hesitations about it? I don't. No, I don't. I think I think the the, the AFL CEO and having having those relationships with with you know important stakeholders in the game. Well, I've got I've, I don't have much of a problem with that. I do. I I think that there's a process in place and the process should be adhered to. Al Claxton's spoken this morning. He says next time it'll be your place or mine as opposed to the cafe. <laughs> but the meetings won't stop. Uh, is John Longmire taking it too personally, though? No, cause, well, not from my point of view, probably from Bob's. But uh, as I sort of said, I think there's a process that should be uh, followed and I thought that uh, that wasn't necessarily... And, look, everyone will stick up for their own particular club, won't they? This is a, it's a city boy, country boy thing. <laughs> <laughs> At what responsibility, Kane, should players take for sledging? Oh, all of the, all of the responsibility. Um, everything. You've got to be completely aware of what you're saying and when it crosses the line. I love a bit of niggle. I love the push and shove and I love a sledge directed at someone. But as soon as you bring other people into it, um, you're crossing that line, I believe. So I think we saw that during the week, although the details were still a bit shady, Jared. So uh, the players have all the responsibility to answer your we question. We saw a bring down Australian cricket. Well, yeah. let's, uh, 
let's hear from the new Australian coach, Justin Langer, who uh, was with me during the week, and he explained the delineation. There's a difference between uh, banter, which is you probably get everywhere, and abuse. abuse. There's no room for abuse anywhere in our community or society, and that includes the cricket field. But banter, it's the Australian way. It's actually the, one of the fun parts of the game. And he said, if we're being honest with ourselves, we all know the difference between abuse and banter. I agree with that. So do I, but I, I, I'm not sure if everyone does know. We, we all talk about the line. Mm. I just worry that the, the line, as we sit here, we probably know the line right now. In the heat of battle, does the line shift for some more than others? Not too sure. I, I, I was talking on radio during the week, and I was sort of fumbling, you know, what, what's, what's the line, where's the line? And then Gary Lyon said, well, if we just keep it for the actions and things that are happening on the ground, I thought... That's as that's as good a description of the line I've heard. Once you start talking about, you know, family member, anything yeah. like that, we, we know that's off limits. But just keep it on the so things happening on the what's field. Within the game, what's within the game? Leave the rest what out. What about if you uh, just throw one at you? If you were caught, Jordan to go. If you were caught uh, over the limit on the weekend, that's not on the field. Is that a no-go zone? Drink driving. I think I think now we're in the stage of that. That that's that's off limits. Whereas it, it, before that, I would, you know, yeah, yeah, I would have been open open season, but that's not translating to now. Crunch time for the 2018 Power Core Country Festival. Celebrate celebrate the power of country and the TAC self, safer roads save lives. Working towards zero, uh, is playing a game in China a good idea? I think so, just for the fact that they're having a crack. Uh, whether it works or not, I don't know, but I've said a number of times. How do you compete with the big clubs if you're a small town club like Port Adelaide? Well. You try and go international, which is what they've done. They've just signed a new sponsorship deal there until the end of 2023. So on the surface, you'd have to say it's working. And I love the fact they're showing initiative and having a crack. I don't understand why people get worked up about this. <laughs> it's great that it's been played have there. Have a go. And and watch and it in the same and, way. And you know what? If it doesn't work doesn't out, work. well, that's not... Oh, oh. You know, we told you so, and how embarrassing. It's like, is it? It's, just... it's been played more for financial than anything else, yeah. surely. Yeah, and, and it's not the AFL's idea, and it, it's not dry. It's Port Adelaide's. So good on Port Adelaide for having a go. But oh, I'm yet to meet, I'm yet to walk past anyone going, oh, I'm spewing, I can't go to the Port Adelaide Gold Coast game. <laughs> well, they didn't even lose a home game. No. That's the other thing. So they've done it pretty well. Still got 11 home games. Terry, who has the capacity to turn their season around, Essendon or St Kilda, either quicker or at all? I think St Kilda, because I think the basis of what has gone wrong with St Kilda more than anything else has been kicking skills, efficiency, kicking efficiency and goal-kicking efficiency. So if they were to come out tonight, for example, and kick five goals one instead of you know, four goals two or one goal five and all of a sudden get a bit of spirit, around the way they play, I, I just sort of see... I don't think it's as broken there as the style of play yeah. that Essendon are putting out in the park at the I moment. I feel like St Kilda's appetite for the contest and, and to defend is is there. hasn't been there as, as much as it has been in, in other years, but it, it's still there, whereas that's the big question mark I have for the Bunsen. Words like appetite and hunger, they're not, they're not what you, the question marks you want to have and... They were questioned last week and they I were really I don't poor. think St Kilda have been knocked around emotionally as, as much uh, as, yeah. as well as what Essendon. I mean, Essendon have been the ones right in the spotlight. So 
if St Kilda could get it right, I think that they could still rally a bit. All right. You can run this past the St Kilda president, Peter Summers, who's going to join us next. This is crunch time for the 2018 Power Corps Country Festival. Celebrate the power of country and the TAC. Safer roads, save lives, working towards zero. On 1116 SEM, the award-winning crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale ends June 13. The bus conductor's just come past our caravan and given us all the single fare, single journey ticket to VFL Park for $1.30. <laughs> and the change came in pennies. Uh, we are at the Power Corps Country Festival. That's where Crunch Time has been presented from celebrating the power of country and also the TAC, Safer Roads, Save Lives, working towards zero. This officially kicks off in 15 minutes' time, but it's well and truly underway with uh, a farmer's market. There'll be entertainment. There's a real slice of the country in metropolitan Melbourne this afternoon. St Kilda have been a talking point, not as intense as Essendon, which we have indulged in through this episode of Crunch Time so far. There was a board meeting held the other night. Alan Richardson spoke about it being a challenging environment. Well, it should be when you haven't won a game since round one. Peter Summers is the president of the Saints. Peter, welcome to Crunch Time. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Out of that board meeting, Peter, are you clearer as to why the team has been less successful than you would have hoped in 2018 so far? Uh, yes, we are. But maybe a bit of context around it. Um, it was a scheduled board meeting, but you don't need a rocket scientist to know that football would have got a lot greater focus um, at this meeting. And one of the things that we did during the off-season, we brought in Simon Lethland as general manager of football and... Uh, I'm not sure if you remember, one of the motivations around Simon's appointment was to change the role which we previously had between talent identification and management and football operations and, and to create a role that sat right across the football, um, all areas of football. So while we're not, we don't like where we're at, that's, that's for sure. It was, it was a really good opportunity for Simon being in the role for five months with that expanded role that sits right across the football um, he's a, an experienced and well-respected uh, well administrator and bringing a fresh set of eyes. He, he really was able to give us a, a, a really good insight into it. And, and on Thursday, he and Alan presented their assessment of the first eight weeks. They looked at what they thought was working, what hasn't been working. They outlined some of the small changes that have already been made. And, uh, and it was a good and open, honest discussion about areas we think we need to uh, need to improve. So, yes, uh, we... Yep. Uh, sorry, go. How serious is the situation then, Peter? The assessment was, if you take it the absolute in terms of numbers, you know, when you get to the start of the year, we uh, we know it's serious in terms of football sense. But in terms of the bigger club and and taking considered views, I think what came out of that that meeting was a, a really good sense of, as I said, what's working and what hasn't been. But it was very much around the fact that we believe it's around getting to the level that we need, uh, we know we can play at. I, I suppose you know our. We set some very uh, um, ambitious goals, and we don't back, back away from those at all. But I think where we're at right now is a reflection of not meeting our capabilities more than um, having set, set expectations that are beyond those capabilities. So do you expect it to turn, or do you have to take action to get it to turn? No, I, I think that well, you know, football's a, a, a moving thing. There's, there's always change of all, all type, but it is very much of the expectation that... Uh, the concentration on those areas that will see improvement and getting us back to achieving what we can and what we know we are capable of, and importantly point out what we've demonstrated well enough over the last couple of years we can do, uh, we need to get to that level and do that consistently. That, that is certainly where the emphasis and the belief is 
what the problem is right now. It's, it's one around um, performing to our expectations. Do you remain resolute that the coach that you extended during the most recent off-season is the man to be able to lead St Kilda to where it wants to go? Absolutely. Um, Alan, he's brought great leadership. He's brought great integrity, um, coaching experience to our football club, and uh, we, we remain absolutely confident that he's the right person to take this group forward. Were you right to extend him? Uh, absolutely. Uh, as I said, for the exact same reasons I just said then, we, were, we believe that he's exactly the right person we need. Peter, can you explain why uh, your goal kicking was an issue last year? You go and get a specific coach for that reason, and it has gone backwards, in fact, in performance since that. Has it been too much emphasis placed on it, and so therefore it's become an above-the-shoulders problem, or is it, uh, is it the belief of the football department that it's still technical? Uh, I think it's, um, it's, to some extent, it's a bit of a mystery, uh, Terry. I mean, uh, it was clearly one of the things that we, going into the off-season, there are a number of things we did in the off-season we identified as needing to continue our development as a, as a club, and, and goal-kicking was one of them. And, and I think everyone uh, supported the decision we did to bring in Ben. Um, you know, I, I think the question now is, and, and I think the belief is that that was the right, absolutely the right thing to do. I don't think that's a question. That no doubt it was the no, right thing to do. Yeah. But, but it was, it's around um, other results yet to come. I mean, some of those things we know, uh, and, and we've seen that in other clubs around around work, particularly around around that mental side of the game. Very things. You know, they don't always happen overnight. Um, some adjustments take time to come through. We, we're confident that we did the right thing. We're confident that the results will be seen. Uh, it's frustrating they, did, they haven't been seen quickly. We, we all share that frustration. But, you know, it, that's one of those things, I think, from a board point of view and, and the people you look at to, to make those considered and rational decisions about, you know, do you need to change or do you just need to be patient and make sure that you support the, the structures that are in place? And, and I think in, in our goal-kicking, it's, it's certainly in that category of support and, and believe that, that, that it will turn. Yeah, Peter, and I'm not critical at all of the decision uh, to bring uh, Ben on board. Uh, is that a chance that, therefore, uh, we were just speaking before you come on, that I believe that things could change a little quicker uh, in, in the course of this season? You know, that if the boys go out and they do, they kick 6-0 in one quarter and all of a sudden get, get on a bit of a roll, that that could actually break the shackles? Because I think it's become much, much more of a mental issue now than technical. Uh, yeah, possibly. But, look, um, talking football to me is a dangerous thing, guys. You know, you sort of obviously smarter people in, in the game than me and I've... Uh, uh, welcome your views on it as well but what I observe is you know, the, the third quarter last week where uh, you know, we've been criticised around our skills and, and around goal kicking um, but part of that was we've got a game plan that goes fast that, that opens you up to, to errors occasionally but when it comes off you know, we, sit, we kick six goals too and we look like a pretty good side and the last quarter against uh, the Giants you know, we, were, we were well and truly the side that in the end that could win that game and that was because again in that, that last quarter, we kick accurately. So it, there's, there's clearly a big part of our, our underperformance this year and, and being below expectations is we're not getting reward for effort. So you're right, you know, if you get that reward for effort, it's not just the fact that it impacts the outcome of the game, but it, it impacts everything that, that happens around you. So it's a, it's a key component, without a doubt. Peter, you haven't played finals since 2011. This season looks a write-off. When do you expect, what is your expectation for your side to make the finals again? How long? That's not. This is about this season. Um, you know, we put out uh, a statement we, where we expect to be right now. Um, 
that statement holds. We, we believe that we've done enough work to be the sort of side that we want to be, be in our, all of our efforts. All of our efforts right now are around achieving what we think we can achieve. Um, that's sort of like a resetting the resetting the goal type comment. We're not we're not in that type, we're not in that space at all. So what what is the stated goal, Peter? Oh, we we, we said uh, when we set out a plan that we expected to be around you know top four and a, and a side that competed at the start of the year. We we believed that if we got consistency right, we were a side that would compete week in week out with with everyone. We've we've shown that you know the, the, the Richmond result last year. We've beaten GWS. We've drawn with them this year. Um, Almost a huge win in, in Adelaide last year against Port Adelaide. We've shown that our top end is highly competitive. Our issue uh, this year is we haven't reached that, that capability often enough. We've done it within games, but not obviously across across games um, in enough thing. And and, um, and consistency, which has been something in the last couple of years. So they're the two areas we think that we need to continue to work on. We, we, we did things in the off-season. We continue to do it. It was a focus of the sort of things that were discussed at the board meeting on Thursday, and we continue to believe that if we get those things right, then we will um, we will be the side that we expect and, and want to be. So, have you grossly overestimated your capabilities because you've won one out of your first eight clearly, and you don't look like the side that you believe you can be? Uh, well, I, I think it's just answered that we we believe we can be the side that we've said we can be. Um, you know, we we believe that if we get those things right. We know when we've demonstrated this isn't this isn't really you know, sort of based on just a you know, sort of forward look when you've got a young group. This this belief in what we've got is based on what we've seen many times over the last couple of seasons. We've we've seen what our top end does. We've seen what we are capable of doing. We've seen it this year, unfortunately, as I said, for quarters, and they've been very impressive quarters. Um, the, the issue is not that. The issue is of overestimating ability. The issue to to us is how do we perform to our capabilities. How do, can you give us a snapshot, Peter? How costly is it to the club as a whole to have the team go through a, a dip like this at the start of a year? Yeah, look, you know, the AFL model doesn't matter who you are. Um, the model is, is obviously has an element of on-field performance that, that impacts on you. The, one of the things that, that has been really pleasing for me uh, has been to see the hard work that's happened over the last five years to build that resilience in our business. And we've... We entered this season with record membership. We've got uh, a really strong group of sponsors around the new Eddie deal that, that we were you know, we were really, really strong that we needed to get that. Uh, the move back to RSEA Park and Moravan, we've really created a, a big and stronger foundation in the last five years. And, and that's really been critical to, to a year like this year because without a doubt, uh, when you are having... Um, the results on field as they have been, that does have an impact on it. I, I, I think our, our sort of feeling right now is that it's disappointing, but it's more around what it's done to halt momentum because going in, into round one, even we've moved into RSEA Park, moved back there uh, days leading into round one. There was some, been some fantastic work done around the club. And yet, no doubt, once the, the season got underway and some of the results came through, that has halted momentum. But equally, as you were sort of talking a bit before, before about goal kicking and, and turning things around, we believe that if we, we start hitting the, the sort of um, performance levels that we expect, that that'll turn around pretty quickly too. Peter, we appreciate your time. Thanks. Thanks very much. Peter Summers is the St Kilda president. Kane, are they being delusional? I think so. Yeah, I think they're overestimating their capabilities.
All right, we are at the MCG. We're finishing up here. Crunch time has been for the 2018 Powercore Country Festival. Celebrate the power of country and the TAC Safer Roads Save Lives Working Towards Zero. The pork pies have arrived from the tools of the trade. Get down to the MCG and enjoy. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.